zero to $2,500, the financial cost of adopting a child through the foster care system. I'm your host, Marcy Bursack, and I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission to find more forever families. After blogging my journey, adopting a pair of siblings, I realized I knew countless people who had the desire to adopt, but believed it was too expensive. So I wrote The Forgotten Adoption Option, a self-reflection and how-to guide for pursuing foster care adoption. And I started this podcast. I am very delighted that you're tuning in. In season two, I'm dropping monthly episodes to teach you how to adopt U.S. children who are waiting for you in the foster care system. You might also enjoy the personal stories of adoptive parents and adopted children that I featured in season one. Now, whether now feels like the right time, the process feels overwhelming, or someone quickly comes to mind to share this with, I am here for you. I am America's foster care adoption mentor, and I am eager to help you fulfill a child's dream of having a forever family. Welcome to the Forgotten Adoption Option podcast. In this episode, I'm interviewing two compassionate, smart leaders who are based in Virginia, and they are pioneering technology to find families, build connections, and create community for every child in need. You'll learn how even you can help waiting children find you as a potential family later in this episode. Now, Jennifer Jacobs spent a career in leadership and problem solving in the Army at the National Lab in government, and in business. She is a West Point graduate and a former White House fellow. She's joined by Jessica Stern, who has 20 years experience in project management, communications, marketing, and philanthropic fundraising. She was appointed by the governor of Virginia to serve on the State Executive Council for Children Services. Jessica and Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. Glad to have you both. And on the last day of November, which November is National Adoption Month, it was announced that Ohio is the first state in the country to roll out one of your new tools. And as a foster care adoption advocate and an adoptive mom and the reigning USOA Mrs. Ohio, I'm so excited to have the team on and hear how you're leveraging technology to match waiting children with their forever family. So with that kind of backdrop, I'll tell our audience and listeners that before the show, I have been so impressed. We had some technical glitches. So these ladies sure know how to just kind of roll with it and and find plan, you know, C through F. It's been amazing. So to kick things off, I'd love, um, Jennifer, why don't you share how you got started in this work and kind of what draws you to help children who are in foster care? Sure. So I spent most of my adult career in national and homeland security, which of course is a natural path to child welfare, as you know. (laughs) Um, So, uh, but about 10 years ago, I was pregnant with our third child and I read an article about foster care. Uh, Those always caught my eye because I used to ride the standout waiting for the school bus and ride the school bus with foster kids uh, who lived at the farm at the end of our dead end dirt road in Michigan. And, um, but I had been into math science and that, you know, was, was, didn't seem to be social science, um, connected too well. This article though, talked about the process of, of searching out for family and connections and supporters, uh, from a child rather than kind of hoping and praying that, that some, um, strangers would walk in and, and want to adopt, um, maybe a child who's had a difficult time and is now a teenager. 
that made sense to me working outward from the child. It's, it's what I thought I would want done for my child if my child were in a situation like that. And it also really resonated with what I knew from national security, which is that the national security uh, space and the intelligence space uses really sophisticated software to build out networks around terrorists and, and um, terrorist families and, and find their connections and links, obviously for a different purpose, but functionally uh, very similar. And I thought, well, of course, we're doing something like this then to facilitate this incredibly important thing that we are providing to these children. And uh, that just led to a lot of searching. I'm a researcher at heart, um, searching for what that looked like. And I, and I, I found there was nothing. And that's what set me onto this path. And yet it was your like childhood experience knowing kids in these situations and then being able to say, well, I, I know of tools. They're not used this way yet, but what if? It's just, it's amazing to hear how you were able to take what does work in a different space and say, if we apply that over here, we could really help some people. That's, that's awesome. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. It's beautiful. So Jessica, how about you? What got you, how do you know Jennifer and how did you get over to this space? Well, it, um, <laughs> meeting Jennifer really, uh, changed my life. I met her a few years ago through the White House Fellows uh, program. Uh, my husband is a White House Fellow and uh, Dr. Jacobs is as well. If you know anything about the White House Fellows community, you know it's one of the most um, highest level fellowship programs in the country. Uh, the Colin Powells of the world are White House Fellows and it's just a group of really thoughtful um, leaders and um, my husband said, you really have to meet Dr. Jacobs. She's really interested in learning about your experience living with a foster family. Well, at, at the time, we didn't talk about that. Um, I, I never talked about that publicly because I just uh, thought it was a unique situation. And, you know, you, you uh, grow up and you uh, heal from trauma and you move on. Um, but when I met Dr. Jacobs, she had wanted to learn about my experience and wanted to share um, this really cool idea that she had. Um, I was not really excited about her idea at, right away. It took a, a few uh, hours of conversation uh, because when she, she told me about it, I thought, that's amazing. I'm going to host a, a little tea party for you and get some ladies to donate. I've you know, raised funds for um, children-focused charities my whole life, but I didn't think I really uh, belonged as a founder of a, a nonprofit, if that makes sense, that would, did not uh, occur to me at the time. And then Jennifer shared to, with me that statistic that everybody knows in this space that nobody knows outside of this space is that children in foster care are diagnosed with PTSD at two times the rate as returning war veterans. And when she shared that, I literally, uh, I felt relief in, in a sense, because I, I, thought, oh my gosh, I thought I was very unique. Um, I was separated from my, my family as a little girl. I did not grow up with all my siblings. And that family separation caused a great deal of trauma and stress for me. And um, I know what, what PTSD feels like um, as a child and moving into adulthood and how challenging that can be. And so I said to Jennifer, okay, <laughs> now, now you've educated me. I understand that we have a situation here in this country that we can actually do something about. And so we set out to just interview everybody. And of course, uh, we started with 
the organizations that do this kind of uh, child-focused recruitment um, really well. Like, you know, there are probably nine different programs in the country. The Dave Thomas Foundation is, is well known for their uh, model. Um, and we just called Rita and other people that do this kind of work and said, can, can we just talk to your family recruiters? Can we learn about what they do and what works and what doesn't work? And it was pretty clear when we um, started interviewing folks that we could, in fact, do uh, what Jennifer um, was thinking about was to just build a platform that would scale up the most successful practices and allow these programs to work even uh, more uh, more effectively and um, faster to help more children. And also it, the platform does allow people who don't do this work, just gives them the real basics of what does family search and engagement look like? And so that's how we got started. It certainly wasn't something I planned to do. I was really uh, happy with my life uh, prior to this. Um, but boy, there was a need um, out there and we felt like we could bring something to the table. So here we are. Wow. And but boy, I'm going, I'm so glad that you were willing to share your story, Jessica, because having first person experience, like what better heart to have aligned, what better insights to share than someone who completely understands what it's like on the inside instead of just the outside. So I really appreciate you sharing that. And I'm so glad that you two have joined forces and and I'm excited for our listeners to hear more about what you're doing. So Jennifer, can you kind of talk about your your tech platform has five family search and engagement tools. Can you explain a little bit about each of those? Sure. So uh, our our first and simplest and uh, and tool that we have had incredible feedback uh, from is called People Search. It's just a simple search tool that social workers and CASA volunteers and, and others who um, are working to serve foster and at-risk children can use. And, uh, and we have had people who can find, you know, who have found uh, fathers who've been missing for years this way. It just searches um, the publicly available data on the internet. It, there's nothing magic really about it. It's just put into a, a nice clean interface that's purpose built for helping uh, kids in care get connected to the folks that they need uh, for support. And, um, and our second tool is also really simple. So we, we're a tech company, we build tech, but we try to keep things as simple as possible. And so, uh, so our second tool is also very simple. It's called the, an engage, the engagement center. And there we have a number of templates and scripts and just some simple downloadable maps, uh, diagramming maps for those who are working to reach out again to family supporters connections to help get that conversation started or to even just even help orient like how am i um who am i trying to find uh, i'm trying to find grandparents aunts and uncles cousins neighbors teachers coaches former foster parents current foster parents um and then the same for adoptive families so um those t- first two people search and the engagement center are a really fairly low tech, but what we've done that's uh, hopefully and seems our users seem to really appreciate is made them super accessible, made them purpose built and focused on this, this kind of effort. Our third tool is our flagship tool, the Family Connections app, and that's the, the family mapping. And that uh, we've made it uh, super user-friendly, real clean, and it just integrates those where a uh, social worker or other person serving foster child and foster care 
can draw out a family map, a family tree, quickly integrate that information from the internet and, and create a picture of the, uh, either the child's family, whether it's bio or adoptive, whether it's uh, the child's neighborhood family, mentoring family, whatever that might be. And uh, that is extremely popular because it can help a team um, work together, which often doesn't happen in social work. It's difficult for them to work together. Um, it can help people work across organizational boundaries as well. And we've even had foster parents who um, are anxious to have the child that they are fostering or are adoptive parents who uh, would like to help their adoptive child understand their biological roots. And we've had them use, use that for that purpose as well. And then our, uh, our fourth tool is that all of this is available on a mobile app. And so it can be taken in the field. It can be taken um, wherever you need to go. And then we're working on the fifth tool, which is the Connections Matter Academy. It's a trauma-aware video series that is targeted at the transition age youth and uh, young adults to help understand the kind of things that Jessica was talking about earlier. Trauma is something that is very common in uh, having experienced foster care. It's not about your, uh, it hasn't, it's not your fault. It's not a character or personality flaw. It is a normal and an expected thing. And it's something that happens because your brain is plastic and can be affected by its experiences. And you can also affect it back. And so it's an invitation to learn about that, to, to, um, to understand that and, and to start on a healing journey. Which is beautiful. And, and to kind of help our listeners who might not operate in the social service space, what, what you all have brought is really things that make paperwork and digging and a lot of delay eliminated, right? Like you're able to quickly have information at the fingertips of people that are trying to help children. So that's just absolutely, absolutely beautiful. And so I'm curious, after you kind of learn and tweak specifically what you're rolling out on Ohio with your family mapping tool, do you have any idea what states you might bring this technology to next or even how you choose those states? I know we have listeners from across the country, so somebody might be thinking, how do I get my state on that list, right? So how do you guys decide where to go next? Yeah, I, well, I'd like to just say that Ohio, um, it just blows my mind, the leadership there, the innovation there. Um, the, the leadership across the board, I would say, folks that are um, advocates, people that are doing this work like Connect and Ohio CASA and the Dave Thomas Foundation, those leaders. And then, of course, the leadership at the very top that are in charge of, uh, of funding uh, projects like this. So uh, Governor DeWine and Lieutenant Governor John Husted are really just very forward-leaning and interested in innovation. And of course, it makes sense that they would want um, to bring innovation to the child welfare space. Um, I, I, how we started in Ohio is really just a bunch of moms talking. Uh, we had some advocates over there who's, who knew what Jennifer and I were working on um, before we actually had a pilot together. And they said, you know, you should just start this in Ohio. And we said that would be amazing because we know Ohio is known for innovation. And of course, my foster parents are there and they're amazing humans. And they helped us raise the first $100,000 to launch our technology platform. And so it was just a natural place to start for so many reasons. Um, but we can't thank those moms over there in Ohio enough uh, for doing the work um, from the very beginning to advocate for, for our technology. 
Um, saying that, I, I would say we've had many conversations with several states and um, we go where the demand is and we go where the innovation and leaders ask us to go. Um, we are not publicly ready to um, share the next state that, that is ready to announce. We'll let them announce that. But we are um, very um, agile. We can go where the leadership wants us to go. And when people are really uh, using this technology and wanting to use it more, that's where we are kind of drawn for Florida is a great example. We have a, a partner down there who is using this across eight counties. Uh, she's not a lead agency. She's just a small agency. Um, not, I guess I shouldn't say terribly small. They serve 20,000 children every year down in Florida um, across multiple counties. And so um, it's just a, we are letting the people on the ground drive where we go, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And I appreciate you sharing all of that because to your point, yeah, Ohio is very innovative and your words were forward leaning. And it sounds like you're kind of going where the energy is drawing you and where there's that demand, like you said. So that makes a lot of sense. And I hope that that encourages our listeners, uh, whether that means that's ripe and ready for maybe where they are or how they can help engage and, and work with their, their regions to maybe become more ready for that. So my next question, I know we have to have a few um, caveats because this is kind of a sensitive question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. I know that your technologies use data from public records and social media platforms. I'm wondering what kinds of things adults in the United States could do to ensure that our social media or other data points have the right information that your tools need to identify us as maybe a potential family if somebody maybe in our family tree or friend network is in a situation that they're in foster care or looking for an adoptive family. Sure. So, and I will say first, if you, if you know of someone in your family or, or you believe someone in your extended network is in foster care and you want to be involved, the, the, of course, the first and best thing to do is persistently offer your uh, your support to the social worker involved in that case. Uh, we have had many cases in which people ask us um, how to get involved or why they weren't involved. And a lot of times it's just a social worker who was um, over uh, overbooked on, on a schedule and you know lost the post-it note or, or lost the information or transitioned and information was lost. So don't hesitate to be uh, respectfully can, persistent <laughs> and, and, um, and that's the first, best way. But from our software, our software scans about 300 publicly available data websites. Uh, websites a lot of us are familiar with, Facebook, LinkedIn, Ancestry, those kinds, where that data doesn't have any special protections. Um, it's available to public. And it just collects that information and um, organizes it and quickly pushes it to the searcher. So if you want to be found, um, one of the best ways would be to make sure that you have up-to-date and accurate information uh, in a clear Facebook profile or LinkedIn profile or, or um, one of those, and uh, to consider putting relatives and others on that profile, because those are one of the best ways that our software finds you and relatives. Of course, you may choose not to do that for lots of good reasons. Um, there are, this is a, a, of course, an ongoing discussion in the public space around the availability of data and that privacy. But the data currently is what it is. Uh, it's out there, it's publicly available. And so our perspective is as long as that is the situation, let's be sure to use it for the good that it can bring these children. 
which is, is so simple. I'm thinking, so you're, I think what you're saying is like on my Facebook account, I have like, this is my aunt and this is my cousin. Like those are the kinds of data points that are helpful, right? Because you can say, okay, if there's, you know, a third or fourth generation relative, that information might be helpful, right? That's correct. Just so simple. So that's mm-hmm. something all of us can do if we want to or not, at least we're aware of it. So I appreciate you sharing that. And it's interesting to hear how you all have seen an opportunity to take what's public and use it to connect some dots. And I think it's just absolutely beautiful. Thank you. And of course, it's what a social worker or or a a supporter and even young um, aged out adults themselves do already. So to to be clear, our software is not doing anything that, that others didn't already know to do. What we're trying to do is make it happen really fast for those social workers and, and CASA volunteers and, and family searchers who don't have enough time to serve all the kids that would dearly love to serve. And this allows them to, uh, to be able to do their work more effectively and more efficiently. Yeah. And I think about the term, you know, waiting children, children that are waiting to be adopted and how that wait, you guys are kind of shrinking that timeline potentially because you're able to make that more efficient and take- yeah, that's exactly right. That's yeah. right. I there's a um, there's a young boy in uh, the Florida foster care system who is in the system for 14 years. Uh, his child welfare professional reached out to us. Actually, we were piloting our technology. We weren't ready to uh, open it up to everybody, um, but she learned about it and asked if we could use she could use this uh, platform in the middle of the pilot. And we said, "Sure, go go right ahead. It's working." Um, and she found five uh, families within the bloodline who had never been contacted before. They didn't even know the child was in the foster care system. Wow. And, and he was in there for 14 years. And they all stood up to adopt him. I mean, they're removed cousins type of family members. They're not immediate family members. And also, they all were in that place, in that moment in their life, where they were able to open their home up uh, to adopt him. And so he is not then sent, um, you know, out, out into the streets, uh, per se, without any connections to anybody. And so um, it's just one story. There, there's another story that came out of Ohio that um, this child was just so connected to the neighbor. He was so emotionally tied to this neighbor. And when he was removed from his family's home, he was then, in essence, removed from everything he knew, including that neighbor that fed him snacks that played with him that did things that bonded with him and and so the foster care system inadvertently uh, removed him from that positive connection and when he was talking to a Wendy's Wonderful Kids recruiter he said I just really (laughs) really want to talk to my neighbor and this recruiter just turned over every single stone and our technology helped her find the neighbor's contact information and called the neighbor. And that neighbor was emotional when they got the call because they love that child and that, that connection matters. And so uh, whether our technology helps find that neighbor or that coach or that teacher that that child has a, a, an affection and love and, and tie with, or whether it finds that extended family member that didn't even know the child existed, let alone they were in the foster care system. So it's, it's just incredible that all of these connections matter and all of these people doing this work are just, they're saving lives. It's, it's not me and Jen and our technology. It, it's the people that are doing this work 
um, that are making these connections. Those are, those are the heroes. And, and that's true. And I'll also tell you the one other story. Connections matter even when um, one part of that connection might have already passed away. Uh, um, the, mm. One of our recent stories out of Ohio, again, from a Wendy's Wonderful Kids Recruiter, had a, a young teenager in foster care, great foster parents, and they wanted to adopt him. And he was resistant to that. And the Wendy's Wonderful Recru- Kids Recruiter went ahead and, and built out his biological family tree and his, his biological family, immediate family, of course, had, had struggled, hadn't been able to take care of him properly. That's why he was in foster care. But she built out the history and he wasn't even that interested because as far as he was concerned, his biological family wasn't something he wanted to really um, know more about or associate himself with. But she did it anyway. And a combination of our software uh, with then to Ancestry in depth, she found for him that his great grandparents had been prominent members of their their communities one had been a highly respected pastor another one had been a a really prominent uh, physician and his perspective on himself started to change even though they were long past um, he started to see that his story was not what he thought it was and that his, uh, his immediate family might have not been able to take care of him properly, but that wasn't his whole story. And the result of that journey for him was that he became more open to the existing adoption opportunity that he had with his existing foster family. Because you changed the vision that he could see on what he could become. That's so incredible to use your own word. Like you all had mentioned it's the hero, the people that are the heroes, the ones doing the work, but good grief. Like but the things that you've all created to empower the ability to see, right. To see, I don't have to age out of foster care. Like I have Mm -hmm. five potential families that I can forever do holidays with and have support and make memories and play board games. You know, the things that families do. And I, I love the stories you've shared about how what looked like there was no option became a whole different story for someone's future to say, you know what, like, I don't have to be what I thought was my future. Like I have other role models to look at that. I didn't even realize were in my family tree. That's amazing. It's, it's pretty amazing. You know, there are some really forward leaning folks out there willing to, uh, like I said before, turn over every stone, a woman in Ohio, again, we keep talking about Ohio because it is the greatest state in the nation. <laughs> you can just say that. That's good. I, I, think, I agree with you on so many levels. They're doing wonderful work and they're not afraid to try. You know, Go Buckeyes. They're not afraid. Yeah, they're, tr- they're afraid to do everything that they can do to help yeah. a child. And, and not all of it is always going to work, but they're not afraid to try. And that's, I think, yes. the beauty of them. And also, you know, I'm born and raised there. So go Buckeyes. Um, but there is an innovative... Um, there's an innovative uh, woman who was preparing a young pregnant girl who is ready to age out of the system there in their Bridges program. And she had been in the foster care system, from what I understand, most of her life. She was adopted and then it became a failed adoption, sadly, um, and was thrown back into the foster care system. And, like doing anything she could to get this young lady support, this young girl support. She took a 23andMe DNA test for the girl and uploaded all the results into our platform. And one week later, Marcy, 
her biological family was in her living room with gift cards, diapers, and things to help support her to let her know you're not you're not bringing this child into the world alone. You have a biological family that didn't even know you were in the system. And so it's, it's really fascinating because that person that did that went ahead and ordered that 23 and me DNA test is to me like what an amazing human being that is. Cause I wouldn't have thought about that. And it's a tool. It's a tool that, I mean, it can be pricey. There's different sales, right. But to have the ability to do that and give that gift, and then mm-hmm. to see the results and, and to your point, like it's, it's, it's bridging all of these connections. So those mm-hmm. are great. I think those are great ways that as listeners, we can take away and think, well, man, I can help someone by providing that, or I myself can go do one so that I can show yeah. those data points too. Absolutely. So- Absolutely. And I would just say too, it's all connections matter, you know, mm-hmm. blood and otherwise, and it doesn't matter how old we are. We always need support. I'm almost 50 years old. I still need support. I still need, um, people saying, yes, you're doing a great job. You're, you know, you're doing a great work with your son. He might be having some issues, but you're, you're doing the right thing for him. Everybody needs that kind of support. And I think that, you know, America has 20,000 youth aging out of the system every year without real positive, strong connections. And it just doesn't need to be that way anymore, not in the day and age of technology. And so we really are very excited about um, allowing youth to use this tool in the future in inside independent living programs like the Bridges program in Ohio, for example, where those workers could sit down with the youth and say, you know, not everybody in the family is bad. There might be somebody out there like a favorite uncle or a former neighbor or teacher that you could call. We could call them before you age out of the system to let them know that you might appreciate an invitation for Christmas dinner. You might appreciate the opportunity to share Thanksgiving or ring in the new year with family as we often do. So I think it's just really extraordinary what uh, child welfare professionals are doing right now to make these connections for kids. And what I think is so interesting, what I'm kind of gleaming from what you both are sharing is that it's not that like humans want to help others. Like I think in our nature, like we want mm-hmm. to help, oh, yeah. but sometimes we don't know who needs the help and we don't even realize that they're like our family or our neighbors or whatever. And what you all are doing is you're helping to put those connections, right? You're, you're helping people see like there's a need over here and it's right next to you and you didn't even know. And so yeah. that's, that's inspiring. And I thought, think this is exciting to see what happens in the future um, as more and more youth and folks in the child welfare space are able to use your tools to really help bridge those connections. So I have two more questions for you all. My first one is I watched the really good, I loved the YouTube video you had on your website and I encourage people to watch it because it just really conceptualizes the work that you all are doing beautifully. And it mentioned that technology has been underutilized in the area of finding forever families for foster children. And I imagine changing that story, especially because the government program requires a lot of attention to detail and knowing how to navigate the system. And I'm just curious, what advice, encouragement, insight do you have if there are others thinking, man, I really wish I could help impact change on a government program? Like, how should we get started on that? Or what should we stay away from? Wow. Um, That's a big question. 
you all have tackled it. So I'm like, I'm going to ask the stores because I'm like, from the outside, it's it's incredible because it can feel like that's too big. It will never change. I have to accept it. But you all didn't do that. You all said we can work together. Like we can figure out how to partner. And so I'm just curious. Hmm, so yeah. our perspective, I guess I would say we, uh, uh, Jessica and I both worked in government bureaucracies of different forms, many, much of our adult lives. I, I spent um, time in the army. I spent time in different parts of the U.S. government. Jessica worked in state government. So we understand uh, governments, um, how governments work and, and a lot of what's there. And it's easy to say that's not working how it should and, and, and take shots at that. But, you know, government is what it is. It does a lot of good, but it's not magic. And it, it can't be responsible for everything in our lives. And, um, and sometimes the rest of us need to just stand up and make some things happen. And then government can come along and, um, and join that effort. But government just by its nature can't be as nimble as, as a private organization sometimes can. And so I would say the first step is don't spend a lot of energy blaming or being angry at bureaucracy. <laughs> um, look and see what what can you do. And this is common, right? Uh, nonprofits do lots of things that governments aren't able to do. A private business does lots of things that government isn't always able to do. Um, I think what's important is that public and private and nonprofit and for-profit uh, works together, especially, you know, going across the public and, and, um, and nonprofit space in, in our case, working together has been, been what's important, but we had to start it. Um, we had to get some innovative ideas. We, we got friends and family who believed in us uh, to help us get started and show what we were talking about. We built it so that it could be a grassroots effort so that we weren't doing anything that required special privileges or special permissions. Um, and that allowed the people who are out there every day working these cases, helping these kids to just use our tools. And then um, that allowed the progress forward at, at, a, at a faster pace. Yeah, and I would add as well that technology is moving fast. Modern technology, uh, I mean, you know, just from your cell phone usage over the last 20 years, how many times has your cell phone been upgraded from your BlackBerry or your, you know, your flip phone to your BlackBerry to now your smartphone? It's very, it's moving so fast. It's very hard for um, governments, especially county governments, state, lo you know, local governments to keep up with technology. And that's the beauty of our tools. They were driven and designed by people who do this work and do it well, and also um, by partnering with the tech people who are able to say, okay, yeah, this is how we can make this faster um, and, uh, and give it away for free. I think that's the, the, the most unique thing about Connect Our Kids is um, while it does cost money and we are truly grateful for the grants that we receive um, from small family foundations like the Sauer Family Foundation out of Minnesota, they are just remarkable human beings. Uh, before we actually had a thing, they were funding us. 
Um, the Chick-fil-A Foundation has been able to fund us, the Anschutz Foundation um, and others. I, I don't want to miss anybody, but you can go to our website to see who's, who's uh, helped support this. But of course, then the state of Ohio, that partnership with government that came in and said, yes, we, we like the idea of doing things better, faster. We want to we wanna support that. And so this combination of private, private public sector and also our donors, I mean, I just want to go back to Jen's family, my family, our friends, people who said, we want to do something different in this, in this space. Um, they did this. And so it's just a beautiful marriage of uh, folks keeping the most innovative technology tools in the fingertips or available, uh, making them available for our social workers, for our child welfare professionals, and for our CASA volunteers. We have over 200 CASA volunteers using our platform right now. And the state of Ohio just announced that Ohio CASA would be doing this kind of work. I mean, that's incredible and remarkable. And that is not connect our kids. That's just leadership. Because they're sharing things. Yeah. I, I, Jennifer, I want to go back to you and just point out, I love that you were like, well, you can't, you can keep pointing fingers, but you're going to kind of lose time. Right. So instead try to create the thing and invite people into that. And I think what you all have done is such a great example of how to explore and research and pivot and pilot. And you're, you're doing such amazing work. And I want to thank you. I know that there's, there are children, there are families, there are kids that you haven't even reached out that you will, that you'll probably never hear from. You'll never get to hear all of the ways that you're changing the future. But on the behalf of the, the children who have been waiting and that you're, you're believing in them and believing that they have potential and that they deserve a family, I just want to make sure that from the bottom of the community's heart, like you both hear, that your work is so vital and what you're doing is, I'm sure, hard on at times, but so worth it. And so as we close, I'm curious, what can listeners, what can we do to help support Connect Our Kids, to help support your organization? Well, we're always grateful for, for donations, uh, for introductions to foundations that uh, this mission speaks to. That's the heart of some of our uh, most important funding. But beyond that, of course, let your, the social workers, the CASA volunteers in your life know about this software. Ask them if they'd like a free training, a free demonstration, uh, spread the word because it is still uh, largely grassroots. And, um, and if there's a, a foster or adoptive child in your life or, or an at-risk child, uh, don't stop being a supporter to that child. We hear stories all the time about how a child was looking up to uh, and and taking a lot of strength from people like their third grade teacher, their bus driver, their neighbor, um, that that cousin that they visited, you know, just from time to time. You you have no idea how much effect you might have on a child's life, and mm. and you don't even know it. Yeah. Absolutely. I would re, um, just add on that because of our grassroots supporters, because of the, the folks out there who have volunteered, who knew nothing about the foster care system before Jen and I got involved, um, every year there's a Friends of Connect Our Kids GoFundMe. And right now um, their goal is to raise $50,000 by January 1st. Currently, we're at 40750 And again, those are just three 
um, volunteers that found out about our work and they really just wanted to bring innovation to this space. And so um, that's, that's, we share that on social media. So even if you can't afford to donate, sharing that on social media is, is, is very uh, valuable to us. It raises awareness of Connect Our Kids in our mission. And of course, it, it allows us to fund um, things like uh, trainers. We hire folks to train um, on our technology. Of course, our technology is free. And also some folks do need a little helping hand. And that's where we send trainers in to <clears throat> give child welfare professionals uh, hands-on service, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. I'll be sure to get that link from you because I'd love to post it when I drop this episode. Do you all have a preferred way? I'm thinking Jennifer mentioned introductions are helpful. How should people reach out to you? Yeah, I think just sending us an email at hello at kids.org. Um, advocates are the ones that have pushed us uh, into, we have tech users across 44 states right now. And that's because of our advocates, people making introductions, people opening doors. So um, that would be very helpful. Just email hello at connectourkids.org and make that introduction. This has been very informative. I feel like the listeners are like, okay, I got a few ways that I can help like right now, the ways I can share on my own social and, and spread awareness and even help people that are in the field. So thank you both for your willingness to let us peek into the things that you're doing. And thank you for sharing the stories of the incredible impacts you're having. Thank you. And thank, thank you. you so much. We appreciate the opportunity to, to connect with you. As a listener of the Forgotten Adoption Option podcast, you are helping raise awareness about foster care adoption and the 120,000 adoptable children in the United States. By leaving a review, subscribing, sharing, and talking about this podcast, you can help a child find their forever family. If you'd like more information on adopting a child or sibling group through the foster care system, please visit my website, ForgottenAdoptionOption.com. There you will find how to get started, and you can even order a copy of my book, The Forgotten Adoption Option, which will guide you through the entire process. You can pick from paperback, audio, and ebook formats, and you might be able to find my book at your local library. I welcome you to reach out with questions, comments, and your own adoption story. I would love to hear if you're signing up for training and where you are in the foster care adoption process. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Just search for Marcy Bursack. I really appreciate you tuning in, caring, and sharing because every child deserves a family.